Welcome to episode 179 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. You may have heard about the baby clothing swap that my wife and I started when our older kiddo was just five weeks old. That was four years ago. At first, we felt incredibly abundant because we were receiving tons of clothing for our newborn. It felt like we could ask for and receive anything we needed. One time, we needed a specific bottle part and someone drove over to our house to drop it off because they were so grateful that we had created this community resource. Then, as our kiddo got into larger sizes, there weren't as many families ready to pass down toddler clothing. Rather than being selective about what we said yes to, we started picking up anything that was remotely the right size and reasonably something we'd use. We had slowly shifted from an abundant mindset to a scarcity mindset. We were hoarding clothing several sizes larger than we needed because we assumed the well would run dry by the time our kids were in elementary school. But then, a fellow parent reached out and offered us the larger sizes their kids had outgrown. They knew the ages of our kids and that we were community-minded people who always were giving back, so they wanted to give to us. We also drove an hour away to participate in a once-a-year opportunity to buy extremely discounted clothing and toys. And then, As you may have heard in last week's episode, we left our kids' luggage behind accidentally and a childhood friend of my wife's came to the rescue with two large bags of hand-me-downs. Suddenly, we had so many pairs of pants for my four-year-old that we couldn't close the drawer. We went through each item and decided to gift nearly half of his pants to our swap community. It's been a great reminder that there is more than enough because we have the relationships and resources to get the support we need when we need it. There's no reason to hold on to something for years just in case we'd use it in the future when someone else could use it right now. We're back to trusting that letting go makes space for new gifts. Your challenge for this week. Do you have a storage unit, basement, or overflowing closet that is storing lots and lots of just-in-case items? Are you afraid to let go of these possessions because you may not have what you need when you need it? Breathe. Think about how you'd feel knowing your treasures were being used and appreciated by someone who needs them right now. Trust that the relationships you strengthen by having this abundant mindset will come through for you when you need something. Then let go and make space in your life for new gifts. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest not only survived the miracle on Hudson plane crash, but was the last person off the back of the plane that day because he was making sure others made it out safely. After surviving the US Airways flight 1549 crash in 2009, he began to realize the moments that made up his life prepared him for what was about to happen. According to him, all the lessons and strategies he learned in his life 
instrumental during the incident and in the days following. He started to realize that one can actually grow from traumatic life experiences, and that realization set him on a path to not only share what he learned, but also provide practical and implementable strategies to help others survive and thrive after their own personal plane crash moments in life. He's a speaker and trainer, author of Moments Matter, How One Defining Moment Can Create a Lifetime of Purpose, and hosts his own show, Voice of Personal Leadership. Please join me in welcoming Dave Sanderson. Robbie, thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be with you. Dave, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Charlotte, North Carolina. Thoroughly, you can join us. Um, I have heard you tell your story quite a few times. I'm, I'm curious if I can get you to share a little bit different things. So let's start with the context here. As you know, it's a show about leadership and building strong networks. I'd love to know, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, well, thank you. I think leadership is something that everybody has, but sometimes it takes something to get it out of you. See, one of the things I really focus in on leadership is your personal leadership skills, because that's what not only helped me in my sales career, but also helped me that day on the Hudson River. So therefore, I think that, that day on the Hudson River, I think really defined my leadership, to be able to sort of step up and all stuff sort of hitting the fan, sort of coming at you. Because there's times in life where you have things come at you, but it's not as quickly and as urgent as what happened that day. So I think that's why we can name the book Moments Matter because it's about all the moments in your life that give you those leadership skills that prepare you for those times in life and you really have to use it and in, in, impact somebody else's life. So leadership is not only influence, be able to influence somebody to be able to get to help them get their outcome, but help, help them impact somebody else's life in a positive way. Mm, and, and I feel like prior to this moment, you must have already had some leadership capabilities Take me back to, to childhood even. Like, uh, what were you like, you know, on the playground? Were, were you a leader there where people followed you and, and sought out you, you to see what we were doing now? Or were you kind of the quiet kid who watched everything else that was going on? Well, that's a really interesting question. I just had this discussion with somebody who was going to our 40th high school reunion. We had this discussion because one of the, I said, somebody, I play sports and athletics. I love sports and athletics. And I, I shared with them, they were always saying something about my leadership, but they really liked my topic of leadership. I said, I said, Candy, I said, you know what? It really goes back to high school because you know, I was always the first guy to go try something. You know, whether it was in football, basketball, or try, whatever it was, I would go out and try it first because one of the things I learned about leadership years ago, and really I didn't know it then, but sort of came out, is leaders are the ones who are most certain at certain times. And a person who is first out there is going into an uncertain situation. So the person with the most certainty in uncertain times becomes the leader. So I always thought, if I go out and try it, even, even if I don't succeed, I at least led the way for someone else to at least find out what doesn't work to be able to get something accomplished. So I think it really started back, back probably in junior high school. We had junior high schools back when I grew up. Junior yeah. high schools and uh, playing sports, because I think that's where I really sort of stepped up and said, no, I'll try it and give it, give it a run before anybody else did. And sometimes I failed, sometimes I won, but. At least I was giving myself certainty that I at least could be able to try. I love this phrase, certainty in uncertain times. I mean, it's a great, uh, it's a great descriptor for what a leader is, um, given that they're usually foraging you know, ahead where everyone else uh, needs to follow behind the path that they're creating. Was there a mentor or someone who, who saw that potential in you or someone you looked up to as a leader in those early years? I had a lot of people in my early years, but I think my first real mentor that came into my life who impacted my life was after when I got my first job out of college. And you got to remember, this is 1983. The economy wasn't that good. 
Uh, and I didn't have a job, and my dad told me I had 30 days to get out of the house. So, I mean, one of the great things about my dad talking about leadership is you stick to your word, and he stuck to his word. So uh, he helped me get my first job because he wanted me out of the house. But during that first job, I was a restaurant manager. I was a second assistant restaurant manager at a place called Howard Johnson. So it means I was working second and third shift, which was the worst shift, right? But you're the little man at Totem Pole. You're learning. You're learning how to be a leader and manager. But someone would come into the restaurant every night and have, have his coffee and ice cream. And this guy wore a final shirt, drove a pickup truck. So you don't you immediately frame somebody like that, right? It's like, okay, good old boy. Well, that good old boy happened to own 80 movie theaters in North and South Carolina, was multimillionaire, and the people around him, I found out, called him the Sam Walton of Charlotte. He was the guy that was a multimillionaire you would never know, and he took me under his wing. And, and all of a sudden, you know, he, that actually happened the day before Christmas in 1983. And he, uh, he, we were at the restaurant. He said, come on, I will show you what I got my wife for Christmas. Went out to the parking lot, he got her a brand-new blue Corvette. I never seen a Corvette up that close that person. I didn't, but I didn't have the money for that. He said, "Get in, we're gonna take a spin." I said, "Whoa, this is cool." Yeah, he said, "Let's make sure you point in the right direction, because yeah, when you touch that thing, it's gonna take off." So he took this little spin. I come back and say, hey, "Bill, man, she's gonna love this. This is so cool." He goes, "You need one of these." I said, "Bill, I'm making thirteen thousand dollars a year. I can barely pay my rent." He goes, "That's your that's your problem." That's the mindset. You've got to change the mindset. So he started teaching me these little mindset things. Also, he said, you know, let me share with you what it takes to be, be somebody, be a successful business person. So for 13 years, he mentored me, which, Kenley, I didn't know he was really mentoring me, but he was taking me under his wing and taking me places and pushing me into uncomfortable situations. So I had to learn. And, you know, all of a sudden in 1997, and he got really ill, he called me to his office and he, um, he said, listen, I want to give you something. So he went over to his, he had a big roller desk. Remember, this guy's 80, 90 years old. Big roller desk. Pulls out these crumpled pieces of papers. I want to give you this. I said, what is he? He says, this is what I've been teaching for the last 13 years. These are the 12 business principles that my mentor gave me in 1929. Original hand script. So wow. I want to give it to you. But don't let it die with you. Pass it on. So that was my first sort of inkling. It's like, wow, this gentleman thought enough for me to invest in me and now it's giving me some some gold to pass on so that's why i feel incumbent because that's that same year robbie is when i became under the toolage of tony robbins i became as an assistant head of security for 10 years i was with tony as head of security so i was always having mentors in my life and i realized the most successful people the leaders always have somebody else around them giving them that coaching that and that's that that straight on in, insight not the fluff what you need here. I mean, I had my mentor the other day call me and gave me some, sometimes you need somebody to put a foot up your backside. Fortunately, I still have those people in my life. So that's really how my mentorship started. And Kayla, I'm so glad I got to share that story and because it means a lot to me. And now it's my ob obligation to teach these things to other people. That's, that's like a, the kind of story you'd expect to find in a, in a, in a book that someone's writing a, kind of like a who moved my cheese, you know, <laughs> they just want to just they, be my next book, Robbie. You may just have, have, a, have you a, know, what my next book may be about. Yeah. It's just, it's like, you can't imagine it actually happens in real life that you get this like graveyard shift job. Um, but you know, it says something about who you are that you took notice of him and didn't dismiss him and that he took notice of you and thought highly enough of you at that young age. Um, but that you obviously followed through on some of the work early on that he was you know, giving you because people wouldn't keep investing. 
So I, I kind of, I'm glad you brought all this up because I think that the moments that, you know, you're best known for now is the moment that you couldn't have, have planned for or asked for or, or really like expected was ever going to fall in your lap. Now you've, you've turned around and made something of this moment, but, the, but I really think it's everything that happened before that, because you've already had a ton of leadership opportunities. I mean, the fact that you even got on Tony Robbins' radar, I've, you know, I've heard a little of this story. I mean, you sort of like just said hello at an event, you know, like I, I see that part of it for you, it sounds like there's a success pattern where uh, you're around really smart, engaging people and you don't shy away from the possibility. And that goes back to your earlier statement about going certainly into uncertain spaces. It's well, I appreciate you saying that because one of the things that Bill, Bill really taught me is you got to be intentional. And, and I intentionally start putting myself in situations. And sometimes I pay, pay to go to places. But, you know, one of the things being around Tony, and Tony's a master at it. He was really taught me the fine art of being able to put your proximity around proximity to these great people and not be afraid to follow up with them. And that's, I mean, you know, something that happened to me, you know, back in 1994, I didn't even think about, right? And all of a sudden I became head of security for Tony. And this gentleman shows back up at this event, okay? And this guy, you ever, I don't know if you've heard of Sir John Templeton, but he was, he was the Warren Buffett before Warren Buffett, okay? He was the man, all right? And he had an apprentice. And his apprentice basically was, this guy basically he was teaching him these, these principles he learned. Church on Templeton passes away. So this guy goes to this event in 1984 and teaches for Tony the wealth mastery principles. I'm there as a participant, taking notes, right? Don't even think about it. Great. Go home. Do my thing. About six, seven years later, I'm head security for Tony, and he shows up at the event. So I remember this from like six years ago. I say, Jim, hey, I, your stuff sort of changed my life. Would you be open if I would drive to Atlanta and sit down with me for 30 minutes and just sort of give me a dump? I'll just sort of share with – he said, call my assistant. I'll put you on the calendar. Uh, so I'm like, I'm with one of the wealthiest men in the world now. He's giving me 30 minutes of his time. All I got to do is spend my day, jump in the car, and drive to Atlanta for 30 minutes. That's the moment I realized, you know, I was like, you know what? There are people like that all over the place. I find them. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think part of this, though, is that you were willing to do the follow through. A lot right. of people get nervous and then end up not doing the follow through. They end up feeling like, well, they didn't really mean it. I don't want to bother them. So why do you think you were so comfortable making sure that that actually happened as opposed to being grateful that, that he made the offer, but then not actually making it happen in real time? Because being around somebody like a Tony Robbins, you know, no is not an answer. Right. It's all about taking action. And one of the things I learned once again is if you're putting an opportunity and I, I goes back, I'll give you a story from 1999 because when I was an assistant head of security for Tony, I escorted a guy by the name of Gerald Norman Schwarzkopf who led the first war, rap war back in the early nineties. And I was around a four star general and I had the opportunity to be around somebody who's led at the highest, highest, highest levels. But one of the things he said that day as we were just moving around is when you're given the opportunity to lead, lead. So I also told me, he says, when you're given the opportunity to do something, you do it. Don't question it. You just do it because you never know what the outcome is. And Lou Holtz tells that story like he said you know, when he was recruiting people. You don't know how it's going to play out until it plays out, right? So all they can say is no. You so, but you got the yes. Right. And I think a lot of people at the end of getting that yes – 
would just talk, tell the story about getting the yes to all, everyone they know and ride the high of getting the yes without actually getting in their car and driving to Atlanta to go for 30 minutes and have this conversation. Do you see what I'm saying? How like you followed through. And, and I think a lot of people listening have had moments, you know, maybe not the same level, but maybe for them the same level, like a big deal has happened and they get so excited about the opportunity that they talk about it as if that in itself is, is the next thing. Like the opportunity is just the offer that you have to kind of move through it to actually, I mean, to actually drive up to, to Atlanta and sit with him for 30 minutes, there's got to be a party that's still feeling like this. I don't know, really? Like, is he really okay with this? Already, like, already am I really? This do I know? Do I know what, I'm, what am I going to ask him? How do I not waste this opportunity? Right? Like the voices in your head can really kind of stifle that moment. So how do you prepare for those moments? Because you can't know that they're going to happen. Right? You had, like you said, you got to take the action, lead when there's an opportunity. But how do you make sure that you actually follow through on it? it one, like of things I, it. one of the things being around Bill, which taught me a lot, is the word he used with me all the time. And I use this in sales. And I still use it, whether it's I'm in the selling mode or speaking mode or writing mode, is execution. Execution. Mm -hmm. Execution. You got to execute. So when I, I'll give you an example. When I'm running through an airport like, like, like OJ used to, right? And I, am, I mean, this happened a few months ago when I was trying to make a connection in New York to get to Toronto. I was spazzing out. I mean, I was like, how am I going to do this? And I just kept in my head, execution, execution, execution. I had to execute every moment. And also I had that focus. And if all focus is that concentrated energy, right? And that's how geniuses become geniuses. That's why Tony Robbins is Tony Robbins because he has a way that he can intensely focus in on somebody and the outcome. And I'm not anywhere close to what he does, but being around it enough, seeing how he has how he can focus in, taught me at least that, for that moment how to focus in. So when I, I on that trip down to Atlanta to meet with Jim, I was just going through my head, what kind of questions? And of course, and I'm I'm thinking all of a sudden my mind goes blank, right? And you get there, and you're sitting in the lobby of a beautiful place, and you're like, okay, just be yourself. You know, I've done that many, many times. I'll tell you, it's amazing when I, I, that gave me so much certainty and confidence, Robbie. So, you know, I don't have a fear. So, you know, I have a strategy now. I think networking is everything, but more than networking is connecting. See, there's a difference. A lot of people want to go out to network, right? I go out to connect with people. And I found some strategies on how to do that at a high level. So now I don't have fear. And all they can tell me is no, go away, you know? And that's fine. I've been told that many times in my life. Yeah, they say in sales and in fundraising, if you're not getting no's, you're not asking often enough. Exactly. And it feels yep. like the truth here too. What was what was challenging? I mean, I, I, I think you've shared some of the momentous things that have happened that have helped you propel forward. The people you've met, the advantages you've you've taken and and said yes to. But you know, you mentioned mindset earlier. Was mindset the challenge as you were developing your career? Was it skills that you were lacking? Um, it sounds like you were surrounded by great people, but like, what was the hurdle that you still had to overcome to be where you, where you kind of are today? Did I deserve it? Did I deserve this? Right? And you know, it's it. I would, once again, I, I I tell stories because this is where all these moments come up, right? All these little moments. That's why I named the book Moments Matter, Rob, because I figured all these moments that happen, right, are stories, and all of a sudden you can use these stories to build, sort of build your certainty. And I'll go back. When I was with 
and I'll tell you a story I really haven't told a lot, but I would go pick up Tony at the airport helipad, wherever it was, right? It's my job as a security. And one of the first questions every time he'd ask me, we'd pick him up, he goes, are you still working for that company? I was out working for a technology company at that point. And I, sometimes I'll come up with an answer, right? Well, yes, but you know, this. But there's only so much you can say, right? I mean, it's like he can call you out pretty quick. It's like he can read through the stuff, right? And also I started realizing it's like, you know what? I'm not telling myself the truth. You know, he, he, he had more certainty in me than I had in me. And I said, i got to change his mindset. Bill always talked about mindset. You, like that blue Corvette. Yeah, if you don't think you're going to get it, you're not going to get it. See, my goal this year, Robbie, my son graduates from high school, I get my a brand new blue Corvette. See, this is driving me now, right? Because my wife told me I couldn't have a Corvette until we get all the kids out of school. So all the way back to 1983, this mindset thing that came up, and then Tony would always have more confidence in me, and all of a sudden I start elevating my confidence. It's like I had to step up. And I love you it. You're, you're, uh, you beat it. You haven't had to wait entirely 40 years, but close to it to get the blue Corvette. Right. Um, but I, I appreciate you talking about how you can still, even when you're achieving great success, wonder whether you deserve it. I think that um, people fall prey to that all the time. And we talk about the imposter syndrome. It's like it's holding back great people from doing greater things. Um, and they don't often talk about it. They don't mention it. And I think when we see someone like yourself who's super successful doing all these great things, you know, have you can name drop. Tony Robbins in a casual way, right? So like people who are able to do that, you're like, well, they have it all together. I'm never going to be like them. So I think it's really helpful to see that there's an evolution that you have to go through, that everybody has to go through to see. So what's the next challenge for you as you look ahead? Because now you're, you know, you're probably really solid about a lot of what you're doing, but I imagine you're not satisfied with just, you know, being good at what you're already good at. <laughs> so I imagine you're always setting new heights. So so what are you now nervous and worried about not being good enough for that's like in your future? Great question because you know, that's a great distinction because there's always something, right? I mean, there's always some uncertainty someplace. And right now, I made a big audacious goal about four or five years ago. Um, and one of the things about Reno Tony, big 10-year plans, and I put this part of my 10-year plan, but about five years ago, I started thinking about how am I going to do it. Is, is, you know, I want to take what Bill and all these people have talked about, primarily Bill, because these things come from 1929 to impact and teach it to a million people. And that's a pretty big audacious goal. And I'm sitting here going, how am I going to do it? So I start questioning myself, right? How am I going to do it? Right? So I'm asking a reframing question. If I could do it, how would I do it? And all of a sudden, as soon as I start reframing the question is when all of a sudden that's when the, the doubt starts going away a little bit. But I still have those kind of questions. Every night I'm going to bed like, okay, I only impacted one person. I impacted anybody. And I've got 10 years to get this done. How am I going to do it? I'm asking crappy questions, right, of myself. And I've learned from other people is the great leaders, the great connectors, the great, ask better level questions. So one of my challenges is this, is i got to continually focus myself on asking a better question because sometimes, well, I'll delve back in asking crappy questions to myself. And all of a sudden, I'll bring myself down and say, okay, I can't live at this level, right? I, this is not me. And you feel, and you know, when you don't, you know, yourself, you know, your identity is not being fulfilled. You just know it and you get down a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think what's great is that because you have lived, you know, at a higher frequency, <laughs> I guess I'll call it when, it, when you aren't operating in your highest frequency, you know, you recognize it. And now you realize that one of the first things you can course correct 
is to ask better questions. I think that's a fantastic thing that anyone listening can apply to their own life. And you know, you were talking earlier about the importance of, of connecting, not just networking. And I, I deeply appreciated that distinction. And I know that you have made amazing connections throughout your life. Some of them have go on, you know, they, they themselves are big, um, you know, household names. But I, I also imagine that you value not just connections that are like further ahead than you, but your peers and people who you mentor. So how do you manage all these different layers? Like there's the inner circle of people and then there's like your second and third sort of layers out. So what are your habits or philosophies or practices to nurture and sustain these larger connections so that you're not only reaching out to them when you need something so that they're, they're yeah. sort of part of your, well, your community? Great question because, um, there are, you know, one of the things I'm working hard on right now is boundaries, right? Because I got to start putting some boundaries around some of the things that I'm doing. I'm, and I'm not very good at that. So, I mean, I'm working with my mentor on how to put more boundaries around. But, you know, one of the things that I do, you know, is, is I make sure that my most important people, my sort of my, my, what I call my virtual board directors, I touch these people once a quarter minimum. I touch them. And, and, most of the people I touch by way of LinkedIn, uh, and I keep this has been a great tool for me because now I can keep in touch with them pretty much on a consistent basis. But now, so you look at you know different sort of different levels of people that you should deal with, right? And you know, because one of the questions I always ask when you, I mean, when you if you ever connect with me on LinkedIn, I always end is let me know when I can be of service to you. Focus on service to them first. So what I do on Facebook, and I you know I, is a Everybody who I'm a friend with, five, four, five thousand, whatever it is, everybody who's got a birthday gets a letter, a note from me. Everybody, a personal note. Not one of these things you say, happy birthday, little thing. I send them a personal note. And all of a sudden, it's amazing how your connection sort of develops. And people all of a sudden think, like, how are you doing, Dave? What can I do for you, right? Or I need some help here. And I've done that. So if you're a, if you're a connection with me on Facebook and your birthday is in there, you will get a personal birthday note from me. Now, it takes a lot of time. It does, because sometimes you have like forty-five birthdays in one day. It's like how how this one, why does one day get so many birthdays, right? But that's how I do it, you know. And I but so it's personal on my sort of my key people once a quarter minimum. LinkedIn on so for my you know periphery business people and then other people who I just connect with out in the world. They'll get a personal note from me at least once a year. Those are really I love that they're all very tangible. So I want to break this down a little bit. Let's start with the birthday thing. What I love about this is that uh, a lot of people, both on LinkedIn and Facebook, there's sort of these pop-ups that will tell you a person's birthday or on LinkedIn, it might also tell you that they added a new job or it's an anniversary. Right. And there's, an, there's a couple options that people can do easily. One is like it. And the other is there's an automated message right. on LinkedIn or on Facebook, there's a default thing that everyone always just writes, which is happy birthday. Right. <laughs> um, most of the time, I don't notice those. Like on my birthday, I can get 200 plus, you know, messages on my wall. I wouldn't know if my mother wrote me a message. Like I may not even notice it. I try yeah. to go through and comment. If someone writes more than happy birthday, I will reply to that message. But the people who send me a private message or text me, or imagine this, they call me. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe they're, that device in their pocket knows more than just texting. Um, like that always stands out. So part of what you're doing is you're getting information from one medium, but you're communicating through another medium and you're trying to separate yourself from what everyone else is doing. And I think that's be really, really smart. Robbie hit it. Be outstanding. You just have to stand out. Yeah. Right? yeah. So 
you know, I just, you know, because there's a level of, like Tony talked about that, that two percent level up from excellent to outstanding. It's those little things just like that where you know, if you're really in my inner circle, you'll get the phone call, right? If not, you'll get a personal message from me. Yeah, I think that stands out because most people just do the happy birthday thing and move on. I don't notice those. I don't even look at those. I actually um, had a friend of mine who does like all these notes and stuff. So like when you see it, you start singing happy birthday in your head. <laughs> um, yep. So whenever I want to send someone a really special message, I go and search her out to find that written out because I don't know how to create it. And I copy yep. it and I add my own little message. Yep. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to do it. For, I mean, it's a lot of work for like everybody because I'm near you. I'm like 4,000 plus people. Yep. But I love the idea of, uh, of just, you know, doing this little extra effort. And, and all the, another way to look at it is, if you aren't interested in making that slight effort, then why are you still connected to them? Like, That's right. You know, it's a good barometer for why are you keeping them in your network if you have no interest in even wishing them happy birthday in a special way. Um, I have a question about sure. your virtual board of directors, though, yep. you're talking about. I, I love this concept. Uh, Dory Clark, who's been a, a friend and mentor of mine for more than a decade, talks about the personal board of directors. I think it's a very similar concept. So there are these people who formally or informally are sort of in in your life, circling around, caring for you, supporting you, rooting you on. How do you find those people? I think that's a stumbling block for a lot of folks. And is it because you're, I guess, how do you think about who goes on that person, uh, the virtual board of directors and, and how you define what that looks like? Well, great question. Cause I, I got that from like every, like most people from thinking grow rich, right? Yeah. That's where I started, right? Cool. He had his thing, but then I started thinking about, you know, there are people who have done outstanding things through history. And if I could model what they did just in that one thing, right? Just like, you know, Abraham Lincoln and the leadership, you know, because one of the things he talks about in, in, in a story that he talks about, and this is why he's on my virtual board of directors, because when I, when I need some things on leadership, I'll go back and read about Lincoln. So, you know, one thing he talks about is Ulysses S. Grant, his general, who was a drunk, but he was effective. But Lincoln could stand it. But he, that's when Lincoln said, you know, I can't, I can't spare this man because he was too important to the mission. So things I pick up like that, right? There's people around me that, you know what, sometimes I just, get, I just don't like them, but can I spare them, right? So I have a, I've listed out these different areas, whether it's leadership, financial, right, relationships, and I have all these different areas, and I find a person in history who I can sort of relate to, you know, and like Lincoln's my leadership guy. Ronald Reagan is sort of my communications guy, right? So when I need to go out in front and be in that, how he did his thing, I go to Ronald Reagan, right? So this is what I, all I did is took Think and Grow Rich's concept and make it virtual and then go through history. Like if I need, if I need somebody, so I need to walk my talk and I'm not living my identity, Jesus is my, is my go-to, so I go to the Bible. So that's my virtual board of directors, and I've got that in all these different areas of my life. And I tell you what, when times get tough, which they still do, of course, for everybody, your personal plane crash moments, you better have that virtual board directors to call upon or read about or call, right? I love it. I think that you're also pointing to the fact that there's already a ton of great resources and content out there that's been created already yep. that we could be relying on and going back to and, and being reminded of in, in key moments of our life to remember who we are, who we are aspiring to be. Are there living people that you're also thinking about being on this virtual uh, board of directors like are, when you talk about people who you reach out to like uh, a quarterly basis like who are, who are those kinds of people and how do you well, think tony's definitely on there tony for inspiration just being able to move people 
So, you know, yes, I, yeah. uh, and they're, I mean, I'll see him again in a few weeks, right? I'm very fortunate to be able to once or twice a year have that interaction. So, you know, and Don, who my current mentor is, and Don is a very successful you know, entrepreneur. And he's teaching me the entrepreneurial mindset from a corporate mindset. Very different. Very different. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one that really, they just passed away about five years ago. But there were these two ladies, and I talk, you may have heard my story about these two ladies who survived the Holocaust, who lived in my neighborhood, who I had opportunity to meet and hear the story. And they became my mentors of perseverance, right? So whenever I got a little down, I was like, hey, can I really get through this? I think about how do these ladies survive a Holocaust? And they would become, and they would live right down the street until they unfortunately passed away because of their age. So, yeah, I, I still got a few that are living, a few that are past, a few are not even close to me. Yeah. So I, I, I love that you're tapping into this in a, in a bigger picture kind of way. Um, I love it because a lot of times we think small about relationships. We think about relationships in, in the transactional kind of way. And when you don't need someone, you forget about them. But you're like, no, they're, they're staying with me because there are moments I will sort of call them to me or I will literally call them. I will be in touch with them or I will just remember what they taught me or I will you know, reread what they taught me. Um, I think it's a great model for a lot of people to develop for themselves. And, you know, you've, you've mentioned this a little bit, this, these moments for you that were so defining and you've talked in other interviews at length about this moment on this, this plane crash. Um, you know, I fly regularly and I, I try to ignore the fact that I'm just like in this aluminum cylinder in the sky, <laughs> you know, like you don't want to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember following the news of this, and um, what a what a what a miracle! I mean, it really was that no one was harmed. How did you how did you translate that experience into what you're now teaching? Like, I think there's a lot of people who were on board that that day. They did not all become teachers of a message. You know, they they often went back to their lives happily back to their lives, I might even add. But there was something about how you experienced that that led you to say, you know what, I have something now I have to share. So what led for that in your life? Yeah, I, I, and I tell, I think everybody on that, that plane has a story that they could tell and they can teach people. So some people have chosen to, some people have not chosen judge them for that choice. I chose to go out and you know, it happened for me basically a week after the plane crash. I was at my church speaking for the first time. And a lady came up and said, I was questioning if there's a God. I don't believe in miracles, but your physical evidence is a God. And he does miracles. And I saw people get very emotional, start crying right in front of me. And I'm like thinking, I'm like, what's going on? Right. But that's when I realized what I said that day, whatever I said, impacted somebody's life. Right. Whether she believes or wherever she's going to, wherever that great beyond is, wherever it is. At least she believes now she's going someplace of worthwhile existence, right? So I said, well, I've impacted this person. What if I just share the story? How many more people are going to impact? And then what happened, Robbie, is I started doing a lot of businesses. And I was like, this is a really business case on how to, you know, I mean, there's so many things about leadership and motivation and inspiration and following and checking your ego. I mean, all of a sudden I start putting all these business lessons around it. I'm like, this is really a business model, you know? I had a... Because everybody's going through, everybody will have that personal plane crash. Well, yeah, whether it's personal or in your business, right? Something's going to happen. And you better have a blueprint. You better have, and there's people out there who have survived. That's why I did my TED Talk about bouncing back. There's other people who have done it and survived it and grown from it 
what are the strategies to grow? And that's why I started doing the business. So this has really evolved. So it's from that to moments matter. And now about the voice of personal leadership, about these personal leadership moments and how can you use them? So when you face that time, whatever it is, financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationship, you have a model that you can at least recollect and be able to apply that for that strategy to get the outcome. And do you have a team now that's helping you bring this message out into the world? Because I imagine you've grown bigger than what you can do on your own. And, and, and did that evolve? Like over, basically it's 10 years ago that this happened, um, which is remarkable how quickly that has passed. Very fast 10 years. Yeah, fast 10 years. And so, you know, you have this idea that, you know, you have a corporate background. Entrepreneurship is very different, as you mentioned earlier. As you made that shift on, into entrepreneurship, like, you know, was that a struggle for you? And then how did you start to build a team yep. in that way? I mean, that's very different than coming into a team that pre-exists your you Great know, involvement. Great question, because I came from a sales background. So sales was never a challenge for me, right? Finding new business, right? The challenge was the other side. I didn't have any administrative experience, right? I was a sales guy. So I made a lot of mistakes, you know, and there were times when it was tough financially, not because I wasn't driving revenues, because I couldn't manage the back end. So I had to start getting people in my life, right, that could do those things. And I first had a young lady by the name of Tammy, who I treasured. Unfortunately, Tammy uh, had to move on and do whatever Tammy did. God bless her. But now I do have a team. I've got somebody who manages basically what I'm doing in my speaking world. So let her, I figured out that I've got to let other people do what they do best. I've got Rania, who is my publicist, who's my wingman, who handles all that in, right? Who basically manages to make sure that whatever goes on with my name is making sure that our, our brand is connected. And I just hired basically a, what I call a COO type of person, basically overlook everything. Because now I'm off on a different venture, right? I'm going down a different pathway and I'm trying to do bigger things. I can't be doing the everyday stuff anymore. I can. And I do, but I, it'd be more effective if I had somebody. So, yes, I have a team around me. And then I use virtual assistants when I need them. I have a great virtual assistant who did a lot of stuff. And she did. So, yeah, I think I believe in virtual assistants. I never did before. I'm a big advocate of people who do that service now. So if you're a virtual assistant out there, touch base with me because I'm always looking for virtual assistants. Uh, so a friend of mine actually launched the Association of Virtual Assistants. Uh, which we'll put a link in the show notes because I think it's a great resource for people who want to get into that field or want to create some professionalism within the industry of being a VA because it's becoming a bigger and bigger part of a lot of people's lives, not just like entrepreneurs. I think we're starting to see uh, companies realize the potential of being able to tap someone to do some temporary work and you know build work on their expertise. Like you said, that some people are really good at a certain thing. Let them do it. Yeah, you, know, you, you don't do need it. to do it. Right? Yeah. Well, um, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm good at a lot of things. I'm not good at a lot of things. Right? I think the trick is knowing the difference. <laughs> right now, I'm I'm learning how to know the difference. Yeah. 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 So, uh, how how can people? Oh, I, here's my favorite. Actual. Yeah. Sorry, I almost jumped ahead here, Dave. My favorite uh, closing question is if we were sitting together a year from now, and I hope we do stay in touch, yep. and we're discussing all of the amazing things that you have achieved in the, in the past year, uh, what would we be toasting? So what are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? In the year ahead, and, this, and I'm going to be basically announcing it, so I'll announce this here. So the next six months, I'm really going a little bit on social media hiatus because we're going to really buckle down and, and we're doing what's called Dave Sanderson too. We're really going to reimagine Dave Sanderson. And so what I'm truly excited about is I've engaged a 
a branding firm out of Canada, Vancouver. We're reimagining where Dave really needs to go. This voice of personal leadership is really resonating. You know, my next book is going to be coming out in 2020. So that's really exciting, you know, and we've sort of, so we're really re reworking Dave because I've got courses, I've got things out there that I'm just not doing anything with. So for the next six months, you're not going to see much of me on social media now and then because we're going to be focused in on how can we serve at a high level because it goes back to the big audacious goal. How am I going to impact a million people in 10 years? I've got a strategy. I can't do it by myself. So we got to pull back so we can focus on that. That's what we'll be talking about a year from now. Did Dave Was Dave able to do it? Was Dave able to get that thing in alignment? Dave 2.0. I Dave love it. And kudos for taking the time, for recognizing you needed the time and taking the time to do that. You know, that's in the uh, important but not urgent part right. of uh, Covey, right? And like that's a, lot a challenge of people, for me. I'll yeah, well, challenge for everybody, I think. You know, it's because there's nothing uh, tangible immediately about it. Like, you know, the, you can't just be like, check. <laughs> um, there's a lot to the sit back. Yep. Yeah, you got to sit back and like think about it and, uh, and, and sit in it for a while. But I think, you know, we're going to be seeing exciting things from you in the years ahead because of the time you're, you're investing in yourself now. That, that's really exciting and I'm glad to hear it. And I think others can really learn a lesson from that. Um, so how can people find you and follow your work? Well, if, I appreciate the opportunity because number one, if two ways, number one, if you go on LinkedIn under David Sanderson, this is where I have a lot of my stuff out there because I really believe it's a great connection tool. And I would love to connect with you on LinkedIn and that's where you'll get my, my latest content. But if you just want to check out me and what I'm doing, I'll just go to DaveSandersonSpeaks.com. Uh, yeah, we're updating that likewise as part of Dave 2.0, but we'll be putting more things out there, my, my speaking, and you can see where I'm at speaking. If you want to come hear me speak, ping me, and I'll make you a special guest, and you can come hear me speak if I'm in your area. So, But you got to check out the website to find out where I'm going to be. So, Fantastic. Well, all those links in the show notes, including uh, your link to your book, that's Moments Matter. We'll have that there as well. Uh, thank you so much. You'll find everything there at ontheschmooze.com. Dave, thank you so much for, for joining us. This has been a really great conversation. Same here, Robbie. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dave. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 179. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 175 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. And this is your last reminder. My book, Croissants vs. Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences is on sale until the end of January in honor of National Bagel Day on January 15 and National Croissant Day on January 30. Get your copy at croissantsvsbagels.com. This is a great resource to help you make the most of any big event you have on your spring calendar. Have you already read it? I'd love to hear what resonated with you. Please leave your thoughts as an Amazon review and help me reach 200 reviews by the end of January. If you enjoyed this episode with Dave, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? 
That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on the way to becoming a successful leader. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.